It's a crossover, Andrew! Wait, you mean this isn't an episode of Video Night? Bye, gum. That's crazy. I'm your host, Michael. My co-host this week is Andrew. Howdy. Uh, me and Andrew do another podcast called Video Night. Yep. And, uh, Andrew, you are also the artist, Jemetsko. Yes. Or I guess you're the owner-operator, Jemetsko. Yeah. If you love comic books and cartoons and silly spoof stuff like that. T-shirts. That is the place to go to pick up some of those T-shirts and mugs and whatnot. Yeah. And this episode, we're going to be discussing Iron Giants. Yeah. You're nine years old. You're watching TV. Darn. A perfectly good brain wasted. When all of a sudden, Stupid antenna. you go to investigate. Your conclusion, invaders from Mars. You do what any kid would do. You go looking for trouble. And sure enough, it finds you. The Iron Giant. Now available on video cassette and DVD. You're not a huge animation guy anymore. As a kid, I think most of us were, but as yeah. we get older, a lot of people ditch animation. Well, and I don't you, totally there's... ditch animation. I really like certain kinds of animation, Some like usually the weirder stuff, because I like weirder stuff anyway. But as far as like Disney-esque things, since The Little Mermaid on, I pretty much ditched it. I, actually, a little bit before. I didn't really like Oscar and Company either. Yeah, but... I'll say I'm not a huge Disney fan. There's certain stuff to connect with, but I'm more of like uh, the other guys. You know, there's always the other guys trying to compete with Disney. You know, throughout the 80s, there was the fantasy movies that came out from, like, Fire and Ice and Heavy Metal, Star Chaser. You know, those guys are trying to make something new, something PG, PG-13 for older kids. And then we had the revival of the late 90s, where TV animation was popping up, you know, the primetime animation. There were little studios like Warner Brothers and Fox popping up, and they were trying to compete with Disney. You know, most of these studios shut down pretty quickly, but one of the movies from that era, which I think has outlasted its four box office and grown into a huge cult following is Iron Giant. Iron Giant doesn't have a Blu-ray yet. What? But it has a digital release on Voodoo and all that stuff. And uh, they have a special release DVD That is ridiculous. After the Bare Bones DVD. But Brad Bird, the director, he has been pushing Warner Brothers to do a Blu-ray release and it should be coming out this year sometime. I I hope so because this is one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen when it comes to animation. I love hand-drawn. I, I like 3D, but there is something about hand-drawn animation that some seem, seems more personal, something more about the people who are involved. Uh, numbers. Basically, I mean, that's what computer animation is, just numbers, right? So it's, yeah. it feels... Well, no, different. computer animation isn't just numbers. It's a bunch of people sculpting things. It's really very, very complicated stuff. It's not just push a button and it's done. You can tell by the movie Food Fight if it's good. <laughs> I've heard horrible stories. Have you seen I this? have a friend who worked on it, Oh, unfortunately, and he won't tell me what parts he worked on. Food Fight is one of the worst things ever, and it costs $70 million to make. And you, you look shit. at it, and it's... How is that thing worth $70 million? It's not. Right. The guy just kept sinking money into it and changing the story constantly. And finally, when it got released, it's just the worst thing ever. Now, that's a really good example of the worst thing ever as far as CG. So if you want to just slant your argument, the CG is terrible. Always. <laughs> See Food Fight. Well, that's a version of it. But then you have really good stuff. And this movie, actually, Iron Giant, uses some CG yeah. for the giant. It's one of the first movies it doesn't really combine 
both. Yeah, it doesn't rely on it. They did that earlier with, I think, Little Mermaid with yeah, the ship. I think the first one was actually Beauty and the Beast. They did some of the ballroom in CG. They did the ballroom, but also, actually, before that is the Great Mouse Detective. That used it for the clock gears. Oh, man, I'm seeing that movie forever. I should, I should check that out. But Iron Giant found a way to do it seamlessly where you didn't really notice that it was in there. It relied on the, the form because it's a geometric thing. It's a yeah. giant robot. So they had that to be like a geometrically sound. All the lines in there were done cell shading style, which made it look not like yeah. CG. I shouldn't say that I'm anti-CGI, but I think part of it's nostalgia. And two, some of the best animated movies that affected me were hand-drawn, especially like Don Booth stuff. But Brad Bird has kind of the same style of drawing. He really focuses on how the characters react to situations and it sells it with that moment. It's kind of like the classic Disney style where they focus a lot on you know the real movement instead of uh, pizzazz and wow with what can we do with technology. Yeah. It's more about how does it help the story. Yeah. You know what you were saying earlier that, uh, not in this episode before we recorded, is Brad Bird of course had started on Amazing Stories with Family Dog. He's whizzing on the carpet, Dad. With Tim Burton, by the way, they both worked on that episode. I I really enjoy Family So, Day. with his connection to Tim Burton and the fact that they both grew up, I think they're both California kids. They grew up, you know, in the same era, the 50s yeah. and 60s, and you see in this movie a reflection of their boyhood at that time, and that was kind of a thing going, I would say, starting in the late 70s through, probably this is like one of those last, like, nostalgia of that era kind of thing going on, where it was post-World War II, pre-Vietnam, right. where it was kind of like this growth and this energy or whatever about the world and then post-Vietnam it just kind of got all about nostalgia and depression but it wasn't a perfect era because there are so many bad things that were going on but for some reason people ignore you know there's a communist scare you know are you a red well here's the thing you have for the darkness you have Stephen King doing his nostalgia and it reflects on that era you have the darkness like that you have the rose colored glasses which is something well Sandlot did it but they also touched on a little bit of uh, darker themes a little bit. Not totally. They touched on it, but then ran away real quickly to the fun yeah, side. I th- well, I think the king of all, pun intended, the king of all of those reflections of youth, it, it always takes place just as they're turning into a teenager. That's, I think, where most people can relate, yeah. is Stand By Me. Right. You know, when a kid's between 10 and 13 are those pivotal years, most of them seem to be told from a boy's point of view, though. Right. There's only uh, one t- that I can think of, and that's Then and Now by Leslie Link and Clatter. I don't know of any other movies that have uh, adults reflecting on childhood and their childhood is of an older era. And it'd be about girlhood. 1970 is then and now. And here, most of them are boy movies. Now this one, though, I'm gonna say it's not a person reflecting on it, unless you want to count the writer and director to be the person reflecting on it. But they're not actually in the movie reflecting on their past. And of course, nobody had a giant robot ever. (laughs) We all wish we had a giant robot. giant robot is a stand-in for the dog that might have rabies. Yeah, it's it's the old yeller of the cartoon world. But with a robot instead of a dog. Yeah. That I never realized until my wife pointed that out yesterday. Really? It's a boy and his uh, dog story. Yeah, it's totally. It's uh, just a big old mutt. He's, he's clumsy. He eats things he shouldn't be eating. He gets into things he shouldn't be getting into. And he's got to protect them when people think he's a threat. Yeah. And then, yeah, they get out of here. Go! <laughs> go! Go! And then the dog gets put down or something or whatever. And then it's sad. And then it's also hopeful. And it brought the community together. And 
it's actually such a good movie. This movie has so many so many layers to it. Yeah. It has the boy and his dog story. It has paranoia, the McCarthy era paranoia about the Reds, communisms, and the best voice in this. Uh, all the other voices are good. They're all really well done. But the best is by Chris McDonald. Yes, uh, a, a fascinating voice. Listen, before we get into his little thing, uh, we have Jennifer Aniston as the mom. No scary movies, no late snacks, in bed by 8 o'clock. Excellent voice work. Uh, Harry Connick Jr. Uh, Harry Connick uh, Jr. I'd like to apologize to everyone in advance for this. And I don't I don't, I don't, know who voices the kid. Uh, I looked him up. He hasn't acted in actually quite a long time, and his name completely eludes me at this moment. This one's for professionals only. John Mahoney's in it. Hell, you got me a photo of this thing and I could probably get some troops over there but you tell me you've got a feeling well I've always enjoyed but yes Christopher McDonald plays the big bad so basically which is funny because he's so small in comparison to the Iron Giants <laughs> he's one of those guys like during this era he was always the go-to character like the third or fourth role in you know he was the bad guy in Happy Gilmore he was you know always like the dad like an SLC punk I didn't I didn't sell out son I bought in yeah <laughs> he's in the faculty you know it goes on and on during this like five or six year era he was like in like every other movie it's like what the hell so many are there any, are there any other actors this is the one he, where he gets the most to do yeah every scene that he is able to voice in he kind of steals it I don't know it, maybe not steals it but he is given it and he does the job and it's so good all I know is we didn't build it and that's reason enough to assume the worst and blow it to kingdom come I actually met him at a film festival we went to we were outside in the lobby playing Game Boy we are waiting just forever for them to open up their like, wait how old were you oh okay I was too old probably to be sitting in the lobby playing game no no there are no rules to video games this was <laughs> 2000 I'm just asking your age I'm not talking about the game boy <laughs> it, it was actually 10 years ago almost on the nose I think it was April of 2006 it was Lake Arrowhead Film Festival we had a friend who had a screenplay in competition so we were invited and we're out in the lobby waiting for everybody and everybody's like all snooty hoity toity drinking their wine and like you know hubbub and me and Mindy my sister did not give a rat's ass about any of this so we just kind of sat on the couch and played Game Boy and these two kids who were also bored came over and they hung out with us for a little bit and we're playing video games passing Game Boy back and forth and all of a sudden their dad shows up and I look up and it's Robert Carradine and I'm like what the hell? Wait. And I look at his kids I look at them and I'm like oh yeah you do look like your dad. <laughs> wait, wait, they weren't Chris McDonald's kids? Where is this story going? I, I wanted to tell that story in order to tell this story. So <laughs> as they ran off they finally opened the doors people are still standing outside me and my sister look at each other we're like we're gonna go in we're gonna get our table and sit down as i'm going in chris mcdonald comes out of that ballroom that we're in and uh, i go oh, hi and he goes hey you know points his finger at me does that shooter mcgavin thing from happy gilmore because i think he knew he knew i was that right age to have seen it yeah. you know uh, a- as a young man and uh he knew that that he would make that me... you were a giant dork yeah i was a huge dork and i reacted like <laughs> cool you know or whatever i don't even remember what i said it was kind of have amnesia to that moment yeah okay so like that was a roller coaster of a story i tell you it was, but I wanted to tell all of it. How am I ever going to tell a Robert Carradine story again? It was so emotional. I had twists and turns. You pulled the rug out from under us, and then it wasn't Chris. And then Chris shows, oh my gosh! Yeah! Woo! Uh, where were we talking? Oh, Iron Giant, yeah. Uh, Chris McDonald is, yeah. yeah he's the... <laughs> hey, people who listen to the show know that segues are my thing. I, I like to expand an episode by meandering. Yeah, Chris is just perfect. Like, they're all perfect, really. And Emmett Walsh is in it. It came from outer space. I saw it. 
You know what I like about this movie what? is that nobody is really stupid. Everything kind of makes sense if you see it from their perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. M.M. Walsh is the old sea captain at the beginning whose boat wrecks into the thing and he's like, I swear I'm calling the government. And then he does and the government sends Chris McDonald's guy who is pre-X-Files spook looking for crazy, crazy conspiracy stuff regarding mostly the communists and Sputnik. Yeah, his interrogation of Hogarth. Worst name ever, by the way. Hogarth? I thought it was Hobart, but you corrected me. Hogarth? <laughs> Embarrassing name. Might as well call him Zeppo or something. What kind of a sick person would name a kid Hogarth? Hog, hog! Hogarth Hughes! Hogarth Hughes. Yeah, I can't imagine naming a kid Hogarth. What, what would you... Hoagie? Ho- Hog? Garth? Hog? Hog? Gar- yeah. Garth? Hogboy? I suppose I might call the kid Hogboy, but then he wouldn't like that. No, I, that would just damage him forever. I'm gonna kill you later! <laughs> Gosh. With a with a pillow, I swear it! So the movie, in a nutshell, is a boy finds a long-lost dog. Not his long-lost dog, but it's a giant robot, and it's all the earmarks of a boy and his dog story. Basically, and, you know, like you said, mixing, like, what was going on in our political and social realm back then, you know, paranoia, and, and, and it's a fear. small town. So much fear. What's that? So much fear. It's just so fearful. Like, the McCarthy era was hardcore fear. Yeah. Comic, 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 comic. And so the military comes out and tries to blow the thing to smithereens. Sort of succeeds. I, I wonder if you look back on that era, people are like so nostalgic. Oh, the good old days. I mean, why were they good? I don't understand. Are you just whitewashing over what was going on at that era? Cause no, what? No, 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 no. See, this is this seems to be like the memory. I'm glad you mentioned that. They were good as far as a child's memory goes or a person's memory of their childhood. Of course, if it wasn't an abusive childhood. Yeah. That they are actually sheltered. They're not aware of a lot of trans transgressions that the people in their surroundings do children aren't aware most of the time we're sitting there and in, in the 80s we're sitting there watching cartoons or out in the yard playing with their gi joes or something uh, we're nostalgic we're not for... necessarily yeah. aware of the super hard negative stuff until we hit our teens yeah well it's like i guess i'm a hypocrite because i look back on the 80s like oh so much fun and innocent and it's like yeah it's because you were eight and it didn't matter exactly but for my parents i'm sure that they were they, they were fearful of communists they were fearful of AIDS, you know, what was it exactly that uh, Reagan did to get us out of debt, you know, and then they have, like, uh, Iron Contra Repair, the stocks and bonds collapsing like crazy. So there was a lot of terrible things in the 80s, but as a child, you guess, I guess you just don't know it. Right. And maybe the people who are nostalgic for the 50s and 60s, you're right, were kids. Because I used to have a smug way of going, oh, is it because you were white and privileged? Because <laughs> it wasn't good for anybody who wasn't. And I actually and- think that as a producer of a movie maybe that might enter into it like no 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 no. we don't want to acknowledge black people in this era because if we're going to acknowledge black people in this era we have to acknowledge the plight of the civil rights movement we have to acknowledge that if we acknowledge black people in this era I think the producers would say no we don't want to get that complicated because it's a children's movie and they don't want to put the effort into making it organic to the story without derailing the story into something else that reminds everybody of a darker time sort of thing so they just that's true producers would probably be the culprits behind omitting things and keeping everything rose color that's what i'm thinking yeah well it already is a complicated movie anyway there's so much subtext going on i guess you're right if you add another layer to it then it would just make the story maybe convoluted Mm -hmm. and this is one of innocence and fun and brad bird has a way of bringing awe inspired
inspiring moments into a movie. Did you watch Tomorrowland? Yes, I did. There's a couple moments where my I was just like, oh, that's right. That's the joy of what you can do with film. You can bring these moments out to make you feel like a kid again, and that he's really good at doing these things. Tomorrowland was a good movie. It was badly marketed. Children and families aren't really into George Clooney-run vehicles. <laughs> Adults, parents, on their own time, want to watch a George Clooney movie. But to have him being like the hook to get everybody in, sadly, it doesn't work, and it didn't have anybody for people to come in for. Yeah. And they didn't sh- showcase enough of the crazy, awesome, interesting stuff about the movie. Well, that's the same problem to... with Iron Giants. They rushed the production. or No, it was done, but they were planning on a Christmas release, and I think they rushed it to August. And oh, wow. the advertising budget was not there, but you were telling me that you had seen a... Yeah, Vin Diesel. They did put Vin Diesel in front of a camera because he does the voice of Iron Giant. He does a perfect voice of it. It's pre-Groot, but it's basically Groot with a little metallic roughage in his voice. But it's mostly just him and a microphone, and he does the thing. But it's much better than Gilbert Godfrey doing the voice of Iron Giant, where they probably had somebody in a meeting going, let's get someone popular. Let's, let's find someone else. What's that guy from Aladdin? Yeah, yeah, the guy from Aladdin with the, with the beak, the bird. Superman! Yeah, that's a deer kid. Uh, that'll sell. No. So, Vin Diesel got in front of the camera and he introduced a behind-the-scenes clip show sort of thing on the WB before it was the CW. And it was 99, of course. And this is the main introduction to this thing for me. So I was like, who's this beefy brawny guy? Oh, he came off of Saving Private Ryan. And now he's... What's he here? What's he doing? Oh, he's the voice. And then at the same time, he also had Pitch Black come out. Yeah. So it was just like... Vin Diesel! Vin Diesel! Vin Diesel! But it was just really weird for a moment before you realize that he's the voice of the robot. Why is he introducing this cartoon movie to the WB masses? It was a pretty interesting uh, documentary thing. Yeah, it's weird because they really don't do that anymore. I never see a special for movies. That's the only way you ever got to see the making of anything back in the day before, you know... I think Warner Brothers is doing it. Warner Brothers did The World of DC. Oh, yeah. With Kevin Smith. Yeah, you know what? I don't have cable, so I missed that. (laughs) And that's the only thing that they've done in years like that. Yeah, but... But now it's like and it seems to be strictly recently. online, or you'll you'll find it later on the DVD. Of course, you there's no Blu-ray. I, I eh, can be filled with features, but no. Yeah. Okay. So Brad Bird is now wrangling Blu-ray with a super special edition Blu-ray of Iron Giant. A couple years ago, I think they re-released Iron Giant on DVD special edition. They called it Ultimate or something, and no Blu-ray. But they should have. They remastered the picture and everything, so they should have totally put it out Blu-ray, and they didn't. So Brad Bird is trying to get Warner Brothers to put out a a super final version of the Blu-ray. And that's coming out this year, they say. I hope. This just in. The Iron Giant Ultimate Collector's Edition Blu-ray is due in stores and on Amazon or anywhere else. September 6th, 2016. I repeat, the Iron Giant Ultimate Collector's Edition Blu-ray is due in stores September 6th. 2016, and now we resume the program. This feels like Warner Brothers doesn't really know how to utilize the greatness of Iron Giant. Yes, they did release that great special edition. Awesome cover on the special edition, by the way. It just seems like one of those things that they were confused. Like, well, we spent $70 million on this. I suppose we have to put it out. You want to do it straight to video? No, no. Have you heard of Mondo? Mondo Tees? What's that? They're out of Austin. They do t-shirts and poster prints and sometimes uh, collectible statues and things. It's really artsy, fartsy, except it's all about movies and nerds. Uh, okay. 
Okay. They put out, you know, the screw for his jaw that beeps and goes rolling off at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They made a little sculpt of that, which is probably like actual size <laughs> if you really had a giant robot. So it either is currently available or is already bought up because people buy things from them like crazy. But yeah, it's a special edition. So there is still a buzz or still love. I don't know if I would call it a cult film. It might be a cult film. What's the- it's certainly gathered an audience after yeah. it came out. What is the difference between a cult film and a movie that just discovers an audience later? I mean, is is there a difference? No. As far as the term goes, not really. It discovered its audience later on home video and blew up. So then now you have, instead of the 100 people who saw it in the theater, you have the 20,000 people who saw it and love it on video or TV. Yeah, that's what I think it takes. In order for it to become a cult classic, it requires it to be seen again, like either on TV or video, mm-hmm. and then people have to talk about it. They have to recommend it. It has to be a growing thing. And then that's when you start seeing those niche companies start putting out merch for it. Yeah, so you know, that's, and, this and, is it. This is, it's a cult okay. It's a cult classic then. The cult classic Iron Giant. A cult classic is not Roadhouse. Just because it played on TBS for 8,000 times, it's not a cult classic. It's not. Roadhouse isn't a cult. It's just someone bought the rights and said, we got nothing else to play. Let's play this and then we'll play uh, Stroke yeah. Race. This is a cult classic. You're right. This fits the definition of cult classic. I think we're done with this episode. Anything else you want to say about Iron Giant no, before I, we go? I like it a lot. I love it, maybe, perhaps. It's really close to my heart. It's a, it's such a special film. Yeah, I have an affection for movies of that era, the 50s and 60s. You know, of course, neither one of right. them were alive. But, you know, there was that growth for years and years of stuff from that era. First, it started off as just pure nostalgia, like Tales of the Youth. And then it turned into, you know, like the late 80s, early 90s, started being like about lounge lizards and the Rat Pack, you know, that okay. era. And stuff like that it interests me because I never really was exposed to, you know, like Tiki and yeah. the Sophisticated Savage, and, you know, that kind of stuff really grabbed my interest. So when directors come out with these stories, I'm like, I don't know what it was like when, uh, like, you're talking about yeah. Matinee. Matinee, you know, you're watching, uh, what was it like for, who was the director that it's... Lawrence Woolsey, the John Goodman character, is based on Castle. Yeah, William Castle, you know, how is it that he went around to each theater and created these events before you had, like, everything came out in the same day on 10,000 screens? He did the roadshow. Yeah, you know, and seeing what it was like for the communist scare, what was it pre-Vietnam? I want to know what it was like for kids of that era, or for anybody, basically, of that time period. So that kind of stuff fascinates me, you know, Ed Wood, and then there's, like, that weird kitschy stuff we would see through the 80s that was reflected on. Yeah. Like the B-52s, Joe Bob Briggs, Huey Herman, you know, that stuff kind of reflected on oddball, kitschy things from that era. I love it. I would eat that up like crazy. And I, I was born in 74. I missed all of that stuff, and I am, for lack of a better term, that is what I am nostalgic for. I'm not nostalgic for GoBots. Sorry. I am. Not GoBots, though. I'm nostalgic for the 80s, but there's something because I was actually there. Yeah, I see. I'm I'm nostalgic for stuff that came before me, like that era that you said, pre-Vietnam. Like your parents. Post-World War II. Yeah, your parents and your grandparents would talk about it, and you're like, oh, these are interesting stories. So then you go explore. What was old-time radio plays, you know? Yeah, I I still uh, listen to old-time radio. Yeah, yeah, great. I actually want to do one, but it's really hard now that I live in the middle of nowhere. I would love to do a radio play, and I just don't know how to do it. Uh, it's easy. All right. Hey, it's a, it's a new medium. We can pretty much do anything with the internet. Yep. Yay! So, Iron Giant is a definite, 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 Oh, yeah. Definite Top watch. ten. Top um, ten animated film. Iron Giant should be a Disney movie, and it should be a Disney movie that would have redeemed Disney, but it's, no. it's not. It's not. And so now it's relegated to, like, oh, it's not Disney. Forget it. No. It is no, a no, necessity. No, no, no. 
It's, it's the great. bare necessities. <laughs> oh, gosh. I, I don't know why I break into song at least three times every episode. But clearly, at least once, you'll find myself trying to do a song that I clearly should not be attempting whatsoever. <laughs> well, on that note... See you later, guys, I guess. Thank you for having me. Yeah, check us out on our other show, Video Night. It's up on Facebook. You can check it out there. You can check it out on Retro Rocket Entertainment. Of course, we have the page set up for Back in Tunes. I'm giving you too many options. Just choose one. Choose your own adventure. And everybody, be excellent to each other. Thank you, Andrew. You're welcome. Back in Tunes! Superman!